Well, um, we'll begin with our message now. Um, almost five weeks ago, we entered a season known in our Christian tradition as Lent. It's a season of preparation as we anticipate Good Friday and Easter, which are two of the most significant celebrations of the Christian year. It's traditionally been a season of reflection and of sacrifice and of letting go. And it's also an opportunity to really come to terms with our mortality so that we might fully experience the celebration of Easter and the truth that out of ashes comes beauty and new life. Lent is also a time to really ground ourselves in Jesus's teachings. Jesus is a storyteller. He does deliver a few sermons, but most of his teachings were done through story. And so on this fifth Sunday in Lent, I'd like us to immerse ourselves in one of the stories Jesus tells in the Gospels. It's a parable on grace. But first, please pray with me. Loving, healing creator, open our minds and our hearts. Lift the barriers and empty us of whatever impedes the growth of our relationship with you. Reach into our inner space. Sweep out all the old clutter and enlarge our capacity to receive. May we welcome this Sunday in Lent 2021 as a catalyst for our transformation. Amen. Well, we're going to start by taking a look at this morning's scripture reading. It's a parable from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 15, verses 1 through 7. It's called the Parable of the Lost Sheep. And it reads, Now all of the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, This fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. Which one of you, having a hundred sheep and losing one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? When he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders and rejoices. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. Now, the telling of this particular parable appears two times in the New Testament, in Luke, and then also in Matthew, and actually it occurs three times if you include the Gospel of Thomas. And so scholars believe that the disciples witnessed Jesus telling this story a number of times. And Luke and Matthew and Thomas then located this parable in their gospel based on their understanding of the parable's meaning and also the listeners who would hear their account. And that's part of the beauty of a good story. And Jesus' stories in particular, you just keep telling it. And Jesus teaches in a way that leaves room for all of us. And so also something interesting to note is that before and after the telling of this parable in Luke, Luke includes these bookend chapters in which Jesus is teaching about fellowship and hospitality and meals with an emphasis of welcoming into one's home, 
who, um, people who live on the margins of society. So this might help us frame a deeper understanding for the purpose of this particular parable in Luke. But before we unpack this parable, the story of the lost sheep, I want to reflect, reflect a little bit on the idea of story. Recently, many in our church have been immersed in the stories of local leaders in Boise. As you may know, our racial justice ministry team has been working on a project since September with other faith communities and with our partner school, Taft Elementary. It's called Turning Pages. Uh, with the intent of this free YouTube series elevating and featuring the stories and faces of Boise's Black, Indigenous, and Hispanic leaders. And in the video episodes, they share their personal stories of when they were kids, um, about challenges they overcame, or things they liked to do or dreams they had. And then their stories link to a children's book they share. And finally, these filmed episodes are shown in the classrooms at Taft Elementary and other elementary schools in Boise, along with a video of an integrated art lesson produced by our own Wendy Plickenstaff. And their stories and inspiration ultimately give imagination to many of our students in seeing someone that looks just like them. Well, I received an email Friday afternoon from one of the principals in Boise, and she was writing in response to the episode featuring Fazia Adan. She's a young woman from Somalia who came to Boise as a teenager through refugee resettlement. She represents the Islamic Center in Boise, and the book she read is called The Proudest Blue, and it's called A Story of Hijab and Family. Well, the principal wrote, Today at Morley Nelson, a student recognized one of her mother's friends in her hijab. This was a teachable moment in our library and gave this student an opportunity to willingly share with her classmates. It also gave this student a very personal connection to the information and materials. Her eyes lit up and she was so excited to claim this woman as her mother's friend. And she sat up higher in her chair and told everyone with pride that this was her culture and identity too. Well, another Turning Pages episode, um, there's a young woman named Ty Simpson who is featured and she is both indigenous and also black and she happens to be a storyteller. She shared a beautiful illustration of the power of story. She spoke about how she uses story to relate to others, especially others not like her, and how she wants to hear others' stories too, so she can learn and understand people better. And it feels like most days, that we're living in times when we don't often give someone a chance to share their story or we're not given a chance to share ours. And so it's easy to dismiss or categorize someone because we think we have them figured out. But ultimately, Ty shares that she believes stories connect us all and we find we have more in common than we thought. She is also part of the Nez Perce Nation, and so in the episode, she teaches, she also shares stories that are passed down to her, stories that she uses to teach listeners by drawing them into the characters and helping them imagine a different time. And then she draws a line back, connecting the characters to the listeners. And so no matter our tradition, stories entertain, they inform, they motivate, and they offer perspective of a different point of view. 
I recently read somewhere that um, viewpoint is really your view from a point. And that really stuck with me. We can only see and understand from our point. And that view from there isn't very broad. And so perhaps stories are the most powerful ways for us to see another point of view. And so that brings us back to Jesus's stories, his parables. And his parables weren't only stories or stories with a moral. His parables were comparisons between the natural everyday world and the spiritual realm. Stories that might teach his followers different aspects of the kingdom of God. Jesus understood that spiritual things are difficult to grasp on their own. And so he offered a different viewpoint through his parables. It was like he was creating a series of doors through which his listeners could step into and actually enter into new understanding about God's kingdom, like little bite-sized spiritual discoveries to help answer questions like, what is love? What does it mean to be a neighbor? How does repentance work? What is grace? And so parables help illustrate that the kingdom of God is the spiritual world pressing into and transforming the natural world of the here and now. On one hand, they're like little instruction manuals explaining what God is like and how God acts. And on the other hand, a teaching of how people in God's kingdom ought to live. And so let's read our scripture again, the parable of the lost sheep. It's actually one of a trifecta of back-to-back parables in Luke on grace. It's the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the prodigal son. So here it is once more. Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, This fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. Which one of you, having a hundred sheep and losing one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? When he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders and rejoices. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. And I like Eugene Patterson's paraphrase in the Message Bible. He says in that version, By this time, a lot of men and women of questionable reputation were hanging around Jesus, listening intently. The Pharisees and religious scholars were not pleased, not at all pleased. They growled. He takes in sinners and eats meals with them, treating them like old friends. Their grumbling triggered this story. I can just picture Jesus sitting around with the undesirables, the tax collectors and the sinners, essentially the government workers and the sinners are all lumped together. And we can assume that some of the tax collectors were probably corrupt, maybe a bit shady, but they're also characterized based on their category, their stereotype. And of course we do this too. We make assumptions about someone based on their category or the bucket that we put them in. And so, as I mentioned earlier, 
in the teachings just prior to this parable, Jesus had been talking about hospitality, who one eats with and who one shares hospitality with. But the Pharisees and religious scholars aren't necessarily getting it. They were snickering, probably doing some eye rolling, and then Jesus tells this story. He sets up this scenario. He says, you've got a hundred sheep. Oh, I'm sorry. I think somebody needs to mute. He sets up this scenario. Oh, and it looks like it might. There we go. He sets up this scenario. He says, you've got a hundred sheep, but one goes missing. You've got no pen, no fencing. You're leaving them all out in the wilderness. I mean, it's essentially like bad shepherding 101. And so it could appear that this shepherd is just foolish to go search for that one lost sheep. And so he tells this story. And then he asks, Don't you? Would you leave the 99 for one? Do you want to turn it off or listen to this because we got feedback? Sorry, we've got... Mary Lou, it looks like we need to have you mute there. Thank you. And so he tells this story. And he's basically like, would you leave the 99 for one? And it doesn't make sense. It's absurd. But this is grace. Now, grace is what many families say before an evening meal. It's how we describe the flowing movements of a dancer. It can even be a title when speaking to certain people of nobility, your grace. And I love Bono's version, Bono from the band U2, his song called Grace has yet another perspective. He, said, he sings grace, it's the name for a girl. It's also a thought that changed the world. Grace finds goodness in everything. And so let's turn to this idea, this gift called grace, because you know there's definitely an economy, a sensible way that we view the world. It makes sense. It's what's rational and how we make decisions. If someone does this, then the natural consequence is this. Some people call it karma. For example, in the parable, the shepherd can't just go off and leave 99 sheep in the wilds in search of one sheep. He can't leave 99 out of 100 sheep in the middle of the wilderness to find one sheep. It just doesn't make sense. But that's the point. Jesus is drawing the listeners into the absurdity of grace and the willingness of God to go above and beyond for one sheep. And that's the point. It's unexpected. It's a way of love without requirement. Grace is God's expression of love. Love is the motivation behind grace. And grace happens at unexpected moments. Last year, Mark and I purchased a cabin up in the mountains. It had been a lifelong dream for both of us. And we could not have been more excited that the day had finally come when this dream had come true. And so the very first day we were given the keys, we drove to Donnelly to spend the weekend in our cabin. 
Mark sang a Mitch Miller song to me, Let the Rest of the World Go By, as we made our way from Boise to the trailhead on Patty Flat Road. The roads aren't passable in the winter up to the cabin, and so we loaded up our little Polaris. It has these tracks on it that ride on top of the snow. The snow was probably about four feet deep at the time. Mark had this great idea of bringing a snowblower up so he could get rid of all the snow on the deck of the cabin without having to shovel. So we got the biggest, this big beast of a snowblower out of the truck and onto a sled that Mark had tied behind the Polaris. And we loaded the rest of our provisions and then began this eight mile trek up and over the mountain to the cabin. It was kind of challenging because the snowblower was pretty top heavy and about every 50 feet or so it would just fall over. And then we would stop, we would get out, lift the snowblower right side up, and then begin again. Then another 50 feet, and then it would fall over again. And then we'd go lift it back up before heading back up the mountain. But we were working together, it was getting close to dusk, and it was taking much longer to get to the cabin than we thought. But we knew basically where we were going, and really nothing was going to dampen our spirits because it was our first night in our cabin. Well, this happened about 10, 15 more times. Mark decided that he'd just get out and ride behind the sled on the runners, kind of like an Iditarod, balancing it and keeping it upright. And I drove and kept my window down so that I could hear him. He's got a really soft voice in case the snowblower had fallen over. And fall over it did quite a few more times. Not as many um, as, as before, and we were able to get it right back up, but we finally made it up over the summit and had maybe four more miles to go. We weren't discouraged. We were a little tired, but we were more than halfway there. And so as I made my way down to the fork in the road that took us on the final stretch, I continued to look out the window to check on Mark to be sure I didn't need to stop because the snowblower had fallen over. And I mentioned that his voice was really soft, didn't I? His yell is kind of like my normal speaking voice. So I had to pay really close attention and look out the window. And in the mountains, sometimes I'll turn a corner and just find myself just in awe of the extravagance and the openness and the grandeur. And it just takes my breath away. And, and that's what happened. We came to the meadow and I began to tear up at the beauty and felt such an overwhelming sense of gratitude and peace. And I sang and I thanked God for new beginnings and beauty. And as I drove out of the meadow, I came a little further to the final fork in the road where we turned to go the last little bit to our cabin. And I thought to myself, this is it. I've got to get out and just have this moment with Mark. We're almost there. So I stepped out of the Polaris and excitedly called, Mark! But Mark wasn't behind the Polaris on the sled. In fact, the snowblower was on its side and Mark was nowhere to be found. I called nothing. I started running in like a post hole kind of way because the snow was so deep, calling and running and not knowing what had happened, fearing that I'd killed my husband on our first trip to our cabin. I made it down to the meadow and kept calling and there, way back at the opening of the meadow, I saw Mark walking. I kept running towards him and I was expecting him to be really mad. 
and I deserve for him to be mad at me. I've been careless and irresponsible and completely unaware, and I was having my very long moment of awe and wonder. And as I came up to him, he looked tired. He'd walked almost a mile. But instead of anger, he just simply said, do you think you can look out the window just a little bit more? Author Philip Yancey would call Mark a grace dispenser. Grace happens at unexpected moments. It stops us short, catches our breath, disarms us. To be a grace dispenser, I think it means to express the love that God has for us, that resides in us, replacing what is expected or the as you reap, so shall you sow stuff. With grace, it defies reason and logic and interrupts karma, the karma that seems to be present in our minds and in our society. And it seems like sometimes we live in a world where grace is endangered. We live in a time of division and such disagreement, grace seems in short supply. Showing grace towards someone in a situation that is unexpected or maybe not sensible means living towards a world we can't quite grasp yet. And yet grace points us to the way things are supposed to be. And the truth that the source of grace is within each of us and moves us to dispense grace in our relationships and in our world. Grace points us in the direction of what could be and bridges us between the here and there. And so we return to the parable of the lost sheep one last time. And this time, let's ask ourselves which character or characters we identify with at this point in our lives. Am I the lost sheep? Are there areas in my life where I know I'm off course, where I've wandered off somewhere wishing someone would come and look for me, even if I'm not quite ready to go home yet? And have I just fundamentally misunderstood the shepherd, that the shepherd would be so mad at me, I'd have to come back with my tail between my legs begging for forgiveness? Maybe I've made God in my image and the shepherd in my image, instead of knowing the shepherd as Jesus does. Am I one of the 99? I'm safe at home, but I remember a relationship I let go of too quickly. We've all abandoned someone at some time in our journey, and maybe they've wandered away from us and we let them go, or maybe they've made a mistake and so we move on with our lives, or they went right and we turned left and we never looked back. Each one of us has been on the other side of the equation at some point in our journey. We were abandoned or felt ignored. We got lost somewhere along the way. And we justify it. We rationalize it. We make economic sense of it. Really, it just makes sense. You can't leave the 99 out there in the open field all alone and go search for one. That's absurd. But Jesus tells us a story that makes us wish we could be the kind of people that would drop everything, look for the one at any expense. And I love the imagery in this parable. Jesus isn't about corralling the found, fencing them in. He leaves them out in the field. It's like even if the shepherd came back and saw that now 99 had gone missing, it wouldn't be a problem. He would go and find them. 
it's just what he does. So Jesus' parable is tapping into this absurd image of God, the image of God that resides in each of us, calling us to love in ways that don't make sense yet. I shared earlier that the parable of the lost sheep is part of a trifecta of grace parables in Luke. It's the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the prodigal son. And the beautiful thing that I became of uh, aware of this time around in reading the parable is that Jesus sees God everywhere in the person of the shepherd who had a hundred sheep, in the widow living in poverty who searched for her precious lost coin, in the wealthy landowner who celebrated the return of his wayward son. In these stories, Jesus is looking around his world to see God everywhere and in everyone. He can't help himself. He can't help but notice God in everything and everyone he comes across. And maybe this imagination sparks our imagination to look for God everywhere and see God in everyone. And maybe we can reach forward to live into the grace that is motivated by the God in us, the love in us. And I believe that it's core to the Christian story that we are being called to act with grace more than we can even make sense of right now. If being Christian means to live the way of Jesus, it's a way that's absurd by the world's standards, a way that's aspirational, a way that is generous and gracious even to our enemies. Each small step when we're generous with each other, gracious with one another, go the extra mile and love without expectation of anything in return. We are part of the unfolding of this kingdom that Jesus points to, showing grace in ways that don't make sense as we aspire to be part of the unfolding of a world that is so much better than we could even wrap our heads around right now. And finally, I love the pattern that we see in the grace parables. Lost, sought after, found, celebrated. It's found in each of the grace parables and it's an expression of the persistence of God's graciousness. In the end, God welcomes all to eat and drink and laugh at the infinite absurdity of divine love and expression of grace. Each and every time Mark and I go to the cabin now, we reach the point on the mountain road where Mark fell off the sled carrying the snowblower and watched me drive off dragging the snowblower behind, oblivious. And we both say quietly at that landmark, Jenny! symbolizing Mark's whisper yell, and we laugh at that spot now. How absurd that a scenario that could have been filled with guilt and shame is filled with grace and laughter. May we all be grace dispensers. May we all know the shepherd the way Jesus knows the shepherd, God who will always search for us and will always celebrate our return. Please pray with me. Loving God, as we continue our journey to Good Friday and Easter morning, may we engage 
even more mindfully in practices of generosity and forgiveness and repentance and giving up those things that weigh us down, knowing that each time we do so, we are reoriented, pointing us back to your grace, grace that sits at the center of the universe, grace that sits at the center of the story of Easter, grace that sits at the center of all the stories you tell, a grace that reminds us that your love does not make sense, that it is not rational, and that's the point. And God, as we understand your love that leaves the 99 and comes to search us down, that looks for us today and tomorrow, no matter how many times we get lost, may that absurd story be our story. And may we become your grace dispensers in our relationships, our community, and our world. May we see to it that no one misses out on your grace. Amen. Will you let me be your servant? Let me be as Christ to you. Pray that I might have the grace to let you be my servant too. We are pilgrims on a journey. We are travelers on the road. We are here to help each other walk the mile and bear the load. I will hold the Christ light for you in the nighttime of your fear. I will hold my hand out to you, speak the peace you long to hear. And I will weep 